We're going to jump into a brand new series today. And uh, some of you are like, well, you didn't finish the tabernacle prayer. Um, I covered a couple things on Wednesday night with the prayer. It is on our podcast. You can go and uh, grab our podcast and you can hear last Wednesday night's message on uh, prayer. And then sometime between now and when Jesus comes, I'll get the other two pieces of furniture to you. Does that sound okay? All right. Praise God. Some of you like, I'm back for the prayer. Well, we'll get it to you, I promise. Somehow, some way, we'll do that. But I really feel like um, I really feel like this next series is really going to help a lot of people. And we're going to be talking about family. We're going to be talking about couples. We're going to be talking about raising your children in the 21st century. Um, we're going to be talking about being single, those types of things, and not not being in a you know, not that singles are, in a panic mode about getting married. Amen. Lord, help me in Jesus' name. I feel like as far as marriage goes, I have a little bit of equity in my pocket to talk about it, speak about it. Jamie and I have been happily married for 30 years. And this year, this October, we will celebrate our 39th wedding anniversary. Some of you will get it on the way home. She, I knew she wouldn't get it either. It's not all been roses, okay? Do you get it now? Okay. She's a little slow sometimes, but she's worth waiting for. Amen. Don't worry, don't worry. She'll get me back. Don't worry. Trust me. Trust me. It will happen. Probably before the service is over, it will happen. So uh, we're going to talk about this series, Home Builders. I, I pray you stay with us. I believe it's going to help us. You know, our church will only be as healthy as our homes are. If our homes are healthy, our church will be healthy. If our marriages are healthy, our church family will be healthy. Amen? And so it's very key. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you and we honor you today. We ask, God, that you would just speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And everyone said, Amen. Um, God created, God ordained, God institutionalized marriage. Okay, he performed the first marriage ceremony. It's the model in which he intended for his creation to follow. Marriage is not a good idea. Marriage is a God idea. It originated, he created it. So saying that biblical marriage is not ours to redefine, it's not ours to rewrite. It belongs to him. Amen. And if you want to know God's definition on biblical marriage, then all you need to do is go back to the very first marriage ceremony in the garden. So I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse 18 through 24 with me. Listen to what it says. It says, Then God said, It's not good for man 
to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose to name uh, a name for each one. He gave them name, he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. We're good at that. And while the man slept, the Lord took out of, or the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. He brought her to him. He brought her to him. At last, the man exclaimed, a woman, she shall be called a woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. Everyone say one. So from the very beginning, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs, he needs a helper. So wives, if you'll just look at your husband right now and just tell them you need help. You need help. I don't know about you, but I need help finding my car keys at least twice a week. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I'm convinced that she moves them just to mess with me. Because I could swear that I put them here and they wind up over there. So even this past week, I was like, do we have any light bulbs? And um, she says, well, yeah, we do. And I'm like, well, where are they? And she said, the same place they've been for the last 10 years. <laughs> so we need help. We really do need help. Um, but that word helper is more than just helping us find what we've lost. It's actually the Hebrew word um, Neezer, Neezer. How many of you have ever heard, especially from the South, uh, a church, and they call it Ebenezer, typically Baptist? Anyone ever heard of first Ebenezer Baptist, second district, whatever? Okay. Um, that word Ebenezer is found in your Bible. And um, what happened one time was Israel was in a battle with the Philistines, and God brought a great victory. God divinely intervened on Israel's behalf and defeated the Philistines. And so Israel then um, created a monument, and they called it Ebenezer. What it, what it meant was that they built, and God gave them victory, and the victory was a result of his divine help. Guys, most of the battles that you and I win is because God brought divine help in the form of our spouse to help us win those battles. 
I thought that was pretty good. Ladies, you really should be clapping right now. Now, guys, don't worry. I'm going to balance this out before we're done in this series. So it's more than just helping us. It really has the word. It means divine intervention or divine help. And so they built that monument to the Lord. I don't know if you noticed this, though. In the, in the creation narrative, when we were just, when I read the, uh, how God brought Eve to Adam, I don't know if you noticed that God said it's not good for man to be alone. And then the next thing that happens is God brings all these animals in front of Adam. Did you catch that? It's not good for you to be alone. Um, and it's almost as though, as, though, as though God identifies this problem and it's like, oh, well, tough. Uh, Adam, here's some animals, name them. I mean, just look at it. Just read it. It's almost like that's what God is doing. But it's really by design. God did this by design because all of a sudden it dawns on Adam his need for companionship. He's watching all of these animals pass by and he, it dawns on him there's nobody really here that matches me. And he sees all these mates and matches going by and he said, well, what about me? That's why he said here, at last... Someone for me, companionship for me. And so after he saw his need for companionship, the Lord caused him to fall into a deep sleep and God performed the first surgery on mankind. Cut him open, took a rib out, and God started GodMatch.com. <laughs> I looked it up this week. There's not, so I'm going to, See if God wants that naming rights to it or whatever, but I didn't see it there. And God matched Eve with Adam. And notice this. He did it while Adam was sleeping. See, I think many times we end up being mismatched because we become impatient. And we try to fill a need of companionship that's there rather than resting in God and trusting him to bring the right person at the right time into our life. Notice God brought Eve to Adam. Had Adam not rested, had Adam not trusted the Lord, he may have ended up marrying a gorilla. I thought about that. It was maybe the closest thing that looked like him in creation. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Because some of you are going somewhere right now, and I'm not going to let you do that. And so know this, that the person that God brings to you, remember what we just read, the person that God brings to you will be just right for you. They will be just right for you. So how do I know? How do I know this is the right one? How do I know this is the one whom God has sent me? Well, Adam and Eve were comparable and compatible on three levels. On three levels. Write this down. Spirit, soul, and body. 
They were compatible and comparable on three levels, spirit, soul, and body. When God breathed his breath into Adam, Adam became a living being, really means in the Hebrew a talking spirit, able to communicate with God. But Adam had a relationship with his creator. Adam was in covenant or in relationship with God. So that deals with your spirit. And then we know that he had a soul. He was able to identify. He was able to name all of the animals. And then he had a body in which he functioned in. So when God took Eve out of Adam and made Eve, Eve knew God. Eve uh, had a spirit understanding about God being her creator, and she was in relationship with God. Eve possessed a soul, and Eve had a body, right? So Eve comes to Adam, and she knows God. She has a relationship with God. She has a soul, and she has a body. So when Eve approaches Adam, he called her woe men. Woe man. I'm trying to get a better response out of myself. Woe man. That was better, right? That's better, right? Okay. That's what he said when he saw her, right? Some of you guys are like, yeah, I remember that day. Whoa, man. Thank you, Jesus. So the first, the first, first couple, here we go. They both knew God, so they matched spiritually. See, if you're a believer... And the person that you're interested in is not a believer, you just better back off. Don't go there. Your Bible tells you that do not be unequally yoked or matched. Whether that's, whether that's in a husband or whether that's in a dating relationship or a business relationship. You need to be careful about those things. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. So they were equally yoked spiritually, and then they had a compatibility in the soulless realm. They both had same interest, same taste, same vision for life. And then they were attracted to each other physically. So on all three levels, spirit, soul, and body, there was an attraction. They were compatible. They were comparable, right? And so they were united in all of these things. So what does that mean? When you are connected spiritually, when you are connected solistically, when you are connected physically, it creates a threefold cord. What does your Bible say about a threefold cord? It's not easily broken. So right, right away, if you can connect on those three levels, it's going to be hard for the enemy to separate that connection. All right, I'll talk about that hopefully, maybe, possibly today. I don't know. So you need compatibility on all three of these levels. If you are just physically attracted to someone and you're like, oh, man, they are hot. Well, guess what? So is hell. (laughs) 
And if the only attraction that you have is on a physical level, then your marriage is going to be hell. Because I'm going to tell you something, ladies, that six-pack will become a keg someday. <laughs> Amen. And as the Song of Solomon tells us, those two fawns are going to become two rivers. <laughs> Everything's going to drop. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and tell him he needs help. I meant to say waterfalls. I said two rivers, didn't I? <laughs> That's why you guys are looking at me, what the heck's he talking about? So then you might be saying, well, you know what? We got married and neither one of us were saved. And then one in the relationship ended up getting saved uh, and the other one hasn't. Or maybe you married them and you were thinking, you know what? Uh, I'm going to change them. And you found out that you can't change them. So you're not compatible on a spiritual level right now. And uh, you want to be in church. They don't want to be in church. You want to raise your children under certain standards and certain ways. And they're like, well, you know, I don't believe really in that. And so it's hard. You know, you're not compatible in that area. And so many times they may not even have interest in spiritual things. So what do you do with that? Well, the Bible addresses us in this way. It's in 1 Peter 3, and it says this, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Now, I don't have time to unpack that because we could be here all day just on that. But let me just say this, guys. It doesn't mean that that gives us a right to rule over them. What it simply means is God is saying, I've called you to lead them. I've called you to lead them, not to rule over them. And I'll unpack that a little bit more in this series. And then it says, then if someone refuses to obey the good news, which is the gospel, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. So when you preach to them, they tune you out. You're not going to be able to preach to them. Um, you love them right where they are. And live out what you believe in front of them. God said you will win them by your conduct, not your preaching. And flowers and trees do not grow by you pulling on them. Flowers, trees, whatever grow by you watering them. And the more you water that relationship, the more they will grow. And you water that relationship in that spiritual realm by your conduct. By just staying consistent in your beliefs and your practices. And the Bible gives you the assurance that you will win them over. Come on, if you believe that, put your hands together and give God praise. So I don't want you to um, walk away thinking that, okay, if we connect spiritually, if we connect, um, we're soulmates and we connect physically, that it's all good. We're not going to have any problems because that's simply not true. That's simply not the case. Because even if you are comparable and compatible, um, it doesn't exempt you from trials. It doesn't exempt you 
from tests within your home. Remember this. There is a serpent in the garden. There's a serpent just slithering around trying to find a crack in that relationship, trying to gain access in your relationship. And he's trying to get in and to divide and to separate your family. You see, what you have to understand about this attack that we see right now on the family and on marriages, it's nothing new. This attack has been going on since the beginning of mankind. It's always been the intent of the adversary to divide and to separate and to destroy the family from the very first couple. And so it's nothing new today. And so we, we have to understand that there is an attack, but we can overcome the enemy's attack, right? Every house will be tested. Jesus tells us that. It will be tested with the wind. It will be tested with rain. It will be tested with the flood. But if you build your house on the rock, which is Christ, your house will not fall. Come on, somebody. So watch this. When the serpent came to the first couple after the wedding, he came, and when he tempted them, it affected them spiritually. See, there never was a day until they yielded to this temptation. There never was a day or time where they were afraid of God. There was never a day in time until they fell to temptation that they were afraid from God, of God. The Bible said they hid themselves when they heard God in the garden. They were afraid of the presence of God instead of welcoming God like they did every day prior to this. They were afraid. Now they're hiding. Because one of the first attacks that the enemy comes with every couple is to try to attack your spiritual relationship with God. To question your relationship with him. To divide you spiritually. That's why one of the greatest things that you can do as a couple is pray together. Pray together. And some of you might be, well, we're uncomfortable with that. Well, um, break that. Break that. You don't, they, just, they don't have to be these, you know, whatever type prayers. Just speak from your heart. Talk to God from your heart. Uh, about your family, about your relationship, about your future, and ask the Lord just to intervene and ask God's divine hand to be upon your life and upon your marriage and upon your family. Amen? Amen. Just pray together, all right? That's okay. Give the Lord praise. So he attacked them spiritually, and then look, look, what, look what happened. It affected them in their soulish realm. Because listen to what Adam says after, after the temptation. He said, that woman you gave me. Remember when God came to him and said, what's going on here? He said, all of this is her fault. Um, whatever happened to, to that statement, at last. Now it's, look at her. Look what she did. It's her fault. Um, I guess the honeymoon's over at this point. 
right? And then it affected them physically. It's like, Adam's like, get a fig leaf on, girl. <laughs> Is it not in the Bible? They covered themselves, right? Cover up. What, where'd that whoa man go? So it affected them spiritually. It affected them in their soulish realm, and it affected them physically. No. Know that it is a spiritual attack in any one of those areas. When you see those areas being attacked, you have to be able to recognize the devices of the enemy. And so it affected them. Now, what happens when there's friction? What happens when there's tension in your marriage? What happened with the first couple? How do we navigate through these areas? Here's the first point I want to give you. And... Um, I doubt that we'll be able to get through all of these, but let me just give you this. Number one, don't give up before you grow up. Don't give up before you grow up. Listen, if you give up on your marriage before you grow up, you're going to miss the best part. You're going to miss the best part. Marriage requires change. So, so this goes in the solistic or the soulish realm. In other words, this is your interest parts. Some people say things like this, you know, when I get married, I'm not going to give up my independence. Then don't get married. Okay? That's a bad thought process entering into your relationship. I just want to be me. I'm going to be married, but I'm just going to be me. Listen to me. You cannot be the you you were before you get married. It just doesn't work that way. God puts couples together on purpose for a purpose. God puts you together on purpose for a purpose. Let me tell you, uh, let me share with you what a marriage is. Are you ready for this? If you didn't hear anything else today, just listen to this. A marriage is two funerals and a wedding. Just write that down. A marriage is two funerals and a wedding. Okay. What does that mean? That means two people dying to themselves in order to become one. That's what that means. Do you understand that he made you different to make you one? In order for marriage to work, there has to be two funerals. You know, at a wedding, and I've done, I don't know how many of them, we have, they do, um, some still today, the unity candle or the sand ceremony, and it represents, you know, the two unity candles, your individual lives up until this point, and all sounds good, and it goes right along with the ceremony, and we blow these two lights out representing ourselves and all of those things, and we are, well, we light the center one first, and then we blow them out. And we pour the sand together and our life becomes one. How many of you know there is, a, there is some great spiritual significance to what you're doing right there? It's not just we're going to fill up some time here because this looks good. We just spent X amount of dollars on this. We're going to stretch this out as long as we can. It really is symbolic of what's supposed to be taking place in your life. That two of you 
that you're dying to yourself and you're becoming one flesh. Now, that, that does not mean that you lose your identity. That's not what it's talking about. Listen, Jesus died to self. He said, not my will, but your will be done. But he never lost his identity. He never lost his identity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, but yet they are three persons. Each have their own identity. And you are an individual, but you have an identity, but you are both one together in Jesus. Amen? Amen. You're one together. There is no other relationship on earth like marriage. The Bible says this. The Bible says, for this cause... Don't overlook that. For this cause, a man leaves from cleaving to his parents to cleaving to his spouse. From cleaving his, from, to his parents to his spouse. For this cause. For this purpose. In other words, the only time that we are granted permission to leave one shaping and move to another shaping is in marriage. I'll unpack that here in a second. There's nothing like it. And why is it? Why do we need to leave and cleave? Why does the Bible tell us to leave and cleave? Because what you are leaving, what you're leaving, you were once cleaving to. And listen to me. Anything you cleave to shapes you. Anything you cleave to shapes you it defines you, and it develops you. You are who you are because of how your parents raised you. They had no shaping in your life? No development? Yeah, they did. And, Jesus, and the Bible says, for this cause, you'll leave that and you'll cleave to another. That's why when God was getting ready to move Abraham from his place to another place, he told Abraham, he said, before we can make this move, Abraham, you're going to have to leave your father's house. And you're going to have to go to the land in which I will show you. He was stepping into a new dimension, a new place, a new area of shaping in his life. And he could not do that while he was there with his father. And the reason he had to leave was for the benefit of his shaping. The reason that you leave is for the benefit of your shaping. So when God instituted marriage, and I'm going to be done here in a minute. When God instituted marriage, he told Adam, for this cause, leave. He's saying, your parents, saying to us, your parents shaped you to this point. But there's another dimension I want to take you. There's another place I want to take you. And I cannot take you there until you leave this shaping and enter this shaping and cleave to your spouse. So if you get married and you don't change, something's wrong. I don't know how many times couples have come for counseling and, and they say this, well, they've changed. Well, duh. <laughs> You're supposed to. You're supposed to change. Marriage changes you. Boy, it's quiet in here today. 
in order to become, you have to change, right? This is why you cannot give up on your marriage. This is why you can't quit. You cannot give up until you grow up because you have never been the you that you are becoming. You've never been the you that you are becoming. You don't even know what the you looks like yet. But God is shaping you and molding you through this relationship. This is why you can't say, um, I can't do it. Because you don't know. You don't know that because you're not the you that you're going to be anointed to be. It's through this relationship that God's going to create you to be that you to make it. Are you still with me? You can't say, quit saying this. I can't do this. I can't put up with this. Quit saying that. Quit saying, I can't handle this anymore. You don't know what you can be because you've never been that you yet. But you're getting there. If you stay with it, and if you stay with God, he will give you the ability. He will give you the strength and the power to endure things that you thought you never could do. Listen, listen. You don't stay married for 39 years and not weather storms. There's been change after change after change after change. Listen, I was 18 years old when I got married. Can you believe that? She was 19. Now, she's older than me, but it's okay. <laughs> when I look back at that, I'm like, why didn't anybody tell us any different? Nobody told us anything. It's almost like our parents were like, get out of here. Go on. And then I look at our kids, and I'm like, I could never imagine you being married at 18. Amen. Just couldn't imagine that. Um, but anyhow, I mean, there's been some things that we've gone through that's changed us for the better. We both had to grow up in some areas. And I'm still growing up in some areas. We have to work on the spiritual connection. We have to work on the soulish connection and the physical connection. That never leaves. Are you with me? You have to continue to work in those areas. And if you do that, you'll both grow up together. And you'll be able to enjoy a good, healthy, lasting marriage relationship with one another. Because here's the reward. Here's the reward for cleaving. Are you ready for it? In due season, you will reap if you don't quit. In due season, you will reap if you don't quit. And I understand there are different dynamics all over this room. I understand that. I understand that according to statistics that 50% of the people in this room have gone through divorce. I, get, I understand where I'm at. I understand the audience I'm, I'm speaking to today. But I'm talking from this moment forward. We can't do anything about what's back here. Hello? Can't do anything about it. 
But we can work on from this day forward. Amen? And let me tell you, it's not easier just walking your separate ways. Both are costly. Both are work. Amen? But I believe in this series, God's going to help us. God's going to give us some tools. God's going to equip us so that we can continue to work on this thing called marriage. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Don't give up. I should, have, I should have even changed the first point on this. I said, don't give up until you grow up. I should say, don't give up, just grow up. Because we don't even want you to give up after you grow up. Amen? Just look at me, and I want you to repeat these words. Say, we will make it in Jesus' name. We will make it in Jesus' name. What he has put together, no one can separate in Jesus' name. You believe that today? Come on, put your hands together and give him praise. You, you want to be here next week. Trust me, you want to be here next week. Get a little fizzle in here next week. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody's ner- nervous. Look at y'all. Like, Amen. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you for each and every one here today.